It's uh, great to be back again for uh, uh, the second part of... Uh, well, you're going to have to do some remembering, aren't you, from where we, where we were in Hebrews 11. You've covered uh, a lot in Hebrews 12 and, and Hebrews 13. Two, two pretty uh, incredible and amazing chapters. Ray, thank you for introducing and, and gathering our thoughts as ever to, to what we're going to look at tonight. To the musicians, it's been great to have your support um, as well. Now, I thought Ray was going to play me a rather nice compliment, you see. Ray, uh, Ray said, and I quote, I always look forward to when Ashley comes. I thought, oh, this is going to be nice. And it's nothing more than the fact that I work on the railway. My sermons obviously have no effect on Ray whatsoever, but there we are. At least my, at least my job does. So, Hebrews 11 then. This is where we're, we're going back to uh, this evening. We're going to read uh, from verse uh, 17 uh, down to 12, verse 12. Uh, sorry, chapter 12 and then uh, verse 3. So it reads uh, as, as this. It's on screen uh, for you uh, this evening. So, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received a promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and were afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he would have grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, or rather the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drained. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, Stopped the lives at the mouths of lions, who quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness because of mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even change and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a store. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, 
since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who through the joy that was set before him endured, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of God. Father, we thank you for these amazing words. The history that is contained in these short amount of verses, these men and women who stood in their faith, and they stood in their faith in God. Lord, we long to have that faith. We long to demonstrate that faith, that no matter what life throws at us, Lord, that we would be commended for our faith, faith in God. Lord, we've heard of a story from around the world today whereby people who have died for proclaiming your name, yet are people who I am sure had faith in God's promise. And Lord, it is amazing that one day, Lord, we will have the privilege of being able to worship and to adore you with those people that have given their lives for you today. Father, we come before you, and as we look at your word tonight, bless it till we ask, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So then, we, very briefly, we, we considered Abraham and, and the very uh, various characteristics of his faith. We saw very quickly that his faith was responsive. It was sacrificial. His faith, um, his faith that he was willing to, to go in what he was doing, that God said, go, and he went. That his faith was sacrificial. He gave up everything he had. Here was a man who lived in an advanced culture. Remember I said that this, the city of Mesopotamia was, was, was far more advanced than any, any city or culture around at that time. The running water and all the other bits and pieces that he gave up to go and live in a tent. That his faith was courageous. He, he, he had the, this willingness, this want and the desire to go and to, to do what God said and to do it completely. He took a massive step of faith and the fact that because of his courage, his faith went on and the fact that it was persistent. He kept going and he kept doing what God told him to do. Ultimately, Abraham was a man of faith. And according to Alistair McGrath, faith is this, is not merely believing that something is true, it is being prepared to act upon that belief. Anybody can say they believe in something. But when they have to put the evidence to it, that's when what happens? That's when the, the rubber hits the road for obvious reasons. When it comes down to it, you've really got to be prepared to put your faith into action. So that when life hurts most, so that when you look at that situation, you think, Lord, how am I going to get through this situation? It's faith in God that can bring you through it. But ultimately, it has to be acted upon. It has to be, that, that step has to be taken. So Abraham, then, he deserves his place in the faith hall of fame. So we're going to carry on, then, in verse 17 tonight. We're going to pick up with Abraham again. And we're looking at what John Lennox called uh, Abraham's triumph. Abraham's major event, of all the major events that happened in his life, the calling, the fact that he was willing to go. 
even the events in his life that were a complete and utter disaster, this is the one that stands out. This is the one that stands over all of those. For the second time in his life, Abraham is called out of the blue. And he's told to go. But this time he's told to take some servants and to go and sacrifice his son. What is happening in here? What's going on? Why is God testing this man again? Why is God saying, all right, I know you trust me. Can you just do that? Why is it happening? Why, is, why have we got that, this situation? You see, but God had told Abraham to take his son. And if you look at the language in which it's spoken, you come up with this phrase that he told him to take him and to burn him, to kill him, to eradicate him. The original Greek word for a burnt offering, exactly what Isaac would have, would have, could have ended up being, is Holocaust. How poignant is that for Jewish history? That here is the founder of the Jewish nation being told to take his son and to burn him. The Greek word for burnt offering is holocaust. Abraham says to his servants, wait while we worship and we shall return. There is faith acted upon. He knows that it's going to be okay. Even in this dire situation, he knows that everything's going to be okay. Is he desperately hoping against hope that no harm would come to the boy? Not a chance. I see this simply as that Abraham is sticking to his guns and he's sticking to his faith in God. The passage tells us that he believed in the resurrection. He believed in resurrection that God could bring his boy back to life. This is nothing more than a test. Even how dire and extreme circumstances it seems, God is testing Abraham again. So what's the lesson for us from Abraham? At this very outset of this incredible passage, there will be times in our life when we are tested time and time and time and time again. How do you, presume, how do you prove a scientific result? You have evidence. Because you've tested something time and time and time and time again. And you've given that result. And therefore that is your proof. So if you're going to have faith in God, if you're going to have evidence displayed of your faith in God, expect to be tested. My question is this. If you're not being tested, what's happening? If you're not being tested by God in various situations in your life, what's happening? Are you simply ignoring God? Or does God actually know that your faith isn't strong enough to take that test in the first place? This is some pretty uncomfortable questions right at the start of our passage. But this is what Abraham faced. That God told him to take his son and to kill him. So Abraham, unswerving from his task, binds Isaac. What is going through his mind? God has promised to make his name a great nation. To make his children into a great nation. And here we have Isaac. He has the son that he's promised that's going to start off this nation. And now God wants to kill him. What's going on? What's happening? See, I'm pretty sure Abraham would have told Isaac God's promise. That would, that's, you know, fathers and sons would talk about those sort of things. An inheritance. To a point. So Abraham would have told Isaac about God's promise. 
And now here he is, Dad tying him up and ready to kill him. I'm the chosen one, Dad, aren't I? Apart from one question, does Isaac say anything in the account? He doesn't. Even when he's tied, bound to this altar, so Isaac trusts completely in God. You see, but then we've already told this, that as the sacrifice is about to take place, the angel of the Lord stops it. And when you read other places in the, in the Old Testament, when the angel of the Lord, you realize that the angel of the Lord at this time in the Old Testament is Jesus. And Jesus sees that a father is willing to sacrifice his son. There's a story for the ages. That the father is willing to sacrifice his son for the bigger picture. So the writer then compiles the rest of, of people, the people for his hall of fame. And what a list. He carries on with Isaac, which might seem odd as the general gist of the story in, in Genesis 27. It could be described as a, a story of faith that's directed away from God and in other things. What we see ultimately from the example of Isaac is God's generosity. His generosity towards Isaac and ultimately his generosity towards us. You see, there will be times when our faith wanes and falters or in some cases vanishes altogether. But God, God knows exactly what's going on. He knows our hearts. And even when it all seems to have fallen apart and we've got seemingly no interest in God and that sin that happens in our lives, we keep doing it repeatedly after repeatedly after repeatedly. And no matter how many times we promise God, we say, God, I'm never going to do it again. And then sure enough, we find ourselves doing it. There is God. Ready to do what? Forgive our sins because he is faithful and just. That's the God that we believe in. That's the God that we should have faith in. You see, there are times when we, we, we stumble and we bumble along through life. God will delight in genuine faith, even though for us it seems so hard to find at times. So Jacob then, in verse 21, he knew the promise of descendants. And although he was weak and he, he trusted in God and his faith in God was solid, he trusted in God enough to know that his descendants would live and prosper under God. Now, I don't know about you, but when you hear somebody who's been a Christian for years, and they talk about the faith in God, it's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. To sit and listen to somebody tell a story of how God's worked in their life or done something or, or said something. You see, it's a bit of a, a prerequisite that if, if you work on the railway, you, you must be able to tell a good story. It sort of comes with the, carrot, with the, with the, you know, with, with the job. That's just how it is. Uh, particularly a story from, from the good old days when you could seemingly get away with any act or catastrophe whatsoever. I mean, there's hundreds of them, these people that have caused absolute mayhem to the travelling public and have got clean away with it. There are even those who never let fact get in the way of a good story. But here we have an account. Here we have a man who has, whose entire story has been that of time when he has trusted in God. Everybody loves a story, don't they? Come on, we'd all sit and listen to stories. 
people tell stories about life, about what they did in their jobs. The to listen to somebody's testimony is the most incredible thing ever, of seeing how God has changed somebody's life for the better. Everybody loves the story. But there is something incredible about listening to someone who's walked with God for a long time. And they recount the times when they have been faithful. And they've seen God's faithfulness. When, they've, when their faith has been rewarded. Or, or when their faith has been tested. And they've trusted in God. I imagine that that's what Jacob was like. Jacob was recounting those times as he leant and he bowed his heads over his staff. Leaning on his staff. Saying, God, you've done it again. You've proven your faithfulness. Is our story like that? You know, let's, let's, let's ask big, honest questions of ourselves. Is our story like that where we can attest to God's faithfulness over the years of our lives? Can we take a moment to think about what God has done in our lives where he's proven his faithfulness to us and he's proven the fact that we, he is a God to have faith in in the first place? If we took a moment to think about it, I'm sure we could come up with examples where times where God has been faithful to us. And what's even more astounding, as I've already said, is there are times in our lives when our faith was wandered, feigned, waned, and vanished altogether, and we can still come up with times when God has been faithful to us. So the next inductee to the Hall of Fame is Moses, the man on the screen, the leader, the shepherd, the man that listened to God and came closer to, 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 to him in, than any other living person at that time. He was the man who almost saw God's unrivaled and unmatched majesty. And this man is that we can learn five very easy to remember, but not so easy to apply lessons from this man's life. There are those of you that might look at somebody who stands up on a platform and think, I could never do that. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It's just not my skill set. Fine. But one, take one thing from this. This is lesson number six. This is a freebie. I haven't planned this. I'm just thinking about it as we go through because it's something that's important. You see, in Moses, God was not looking for an eloquent man. He was looking for a man who was willing to be a mouthpiece. The Bible talks about Moses' speech impediment. I almost said stutter, but you know what I mean. Here is Moses who had this speech impediment. And yet God was willing for a man who was looking, or rather God was looking for a man who was willing to be a mouthpiece when it comes to speaking about him. That's what he was looking for. God can do the rest. So here is Moses and the leader, the shepherd, the man who listened to God. So the first lesson then from verse 23 is this, that faith conquers our fear. That faith conquers our fear. You see, Moses was, was born at a time of oppression. The, the Israelites were being persecuted. There's, there's too many of them, so Pharaoh says. There's too many of these people. They're, they're, they're breeding uncontrollably. We, we've got hundreds of thousands of them. There are thousands of them. They're everywhere. And yet here is Moses, born at this time, to parents whose faith in God was such that they took drastic measures to preserve their son's life. That faith, was faith that conquered fears. And Moses was delivered. You see, there are, there are times in life when, when fear will grip us, isn't there? We've been there. I'm looking out on a people tonight who have been playing this Christian game a lot longer than I have, who can attest to the fact that when they have been afraid, of no matter what it may be, that there is a God who is faithful 
behind it. You see, so faith in God will conquer our fear. You see, from 24 and 26, we come to the fact that faith should guide our thinking. Moses chose what is right. And we all face crunch times in our, in our lives where the decisions we make are massive. And with faith in God and his plan for us, we, we can make the right choice. So the faith in God should guide our thinking. Moses had it all. So social recognition. He was Pharaoh's adopted son. He had the education. He lived in the palace. He could have had his every whim and every desire accredited to. But he had left it all behind to follow God's path. It is only by faith that we can stop living to please ourselves and start living to pleasing God. And faith in alone in him should guide our thinking. So verse 27 then as we move, move forward, that faith should clear the fog. Now I'm just talking about the usual painted mist that occurs from time to time. It rolls in off the sea and all is a bit dull. I'm talking about the fog that goes on in here. When we're confused, when we can't see the way forward, when we, we, we can't see where God is taking us, we can't see the road that we're walking down with him, that we can't understand it, we just can't get to grips with what's happening. Faith clears the fog. You see, Moses was not interested in his position or power. His gaze was on God, and God did incredible things through him. I mentioned earlier that, that Moses came closer to anyone at that time and seeing God the Father in his unrivaled, unveiled glory and majesty. You see, faith in God gives us a, a crisp, sharp picture of what's happening. We should be a people for whom the fog has been lifted and we should see a clear, crisp, HD, 4K picture of what God is like and what he wants from us and for us. And that comes with faith in God. Faith that has cleared the fog. You see, faith also from verse 28 should indicate our dependence on God. The verse talks about the Passover, the incredible event that happened just before the people were granted their salvation. You've probably heard people say this before. And I'm pretty sure I won't be the last person to say it, but this, our faith in God is key. We must be dependent. We have to be. As Christians, as believers in God, as being part and parcel of God's family, we have no choice. He has done it all for us. And so we must live a life dependent on him. Pharaoh had ignored every plague, and so now came a knife to where it hurt most. But the Israelites were hidden. They were hidden behind the blood of the Lamb. And here we are, thousands of late years later, living under, the, under oppression from a, a seemingly uh, insurmountable amount of adversaries, of government, of authority, of the media, of other religions, of people who were, will quite happily stand up and say that God doesn't exist and religion is a, a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark. And yet here we are, safe, hidden behind the blood of the Lamb. And so because of that, our faith must indicate our dependence on God. And our last lesson from, from Moses tonight is that faith should overcome the obstacles. You see, the Israelites crossed a massive sea. And not just a massive sea, but they crossed a river in flood. Both of which, at God's command, returned to their place. 
to cover their retreat. They had to keep going. They had to keep marching forward with God in his spirit, leading from the front. I see our faith in God should be that such that it gives us courage to believe and to trust in the God of the impossible. You see, the word impossible in God's eyes is two letters too long. God will not just help us overcome every obstacle, but he gives us the confidence to do what? If it's within his will to walk up to that obstacle, to kick its front door in, look it square in the eyes and say this, with my God, everything is possible. That's what faith in God should bring. You see, and as we we go through, we've looked at these men and women of faith who have stood up and have done just that. No matter what life is thrown at them. Rahab, who faced arrest, who faced uh, probably prison and all sorts from her own countrymen, was willing to stand up and hide those men of God at that time. All these people, we heard the list that were cut in two, that were killed by the sword. All these people that were willing to stand up. And I'm not saying that every single one of us is going to go through something as dramatic as that. But please, folks, for one minute, don't be fooled into thinking that because it's nice and comfortable here now, that will always continue. Because whenever they are, whoever these people are, when they come riding over the hill to come and persecute this country, a country that I believe has turned its back on God, and a country to which I believe that God is slowly withdrawing his hand of protection. There is going to come a point where we're going to have to stand up and be counted. We're going to have to man up and get on with it. We're going to have to be brave enough to say, Lord, I am yours. We're going to have to know our Bibles better than we've ever known them. Why? Because we might not be allowed them. All these things have the potential to happen. You see, the next inductees then to the Hall of Fame come in a list of names. Names of people who were generals, they were judges, they were rulers, kings and some of the greatest men and women who have ever walked the face of the earth. And while thousands of sermons have been preached on their accomplishments, the writers of the Hebrews is only interested really in one aspect. You see, the list of of accomplishments, of trials, of sufferings, of afflictions, and lives of almost abject poverty in some cases, all pale into insignificance when it comes to the sheer vastness of their faith. And it's for that that they are commended. You know, people always talk about those phrases on tombstones, don't they? Was it Spike Milligan who said, I think I told, it said on this tombstone, I told you I was sick? Well, there's only one phrase I want on my tombstone. A man of faith. And I don't say that for you to look at me and go, oh. I say it because that's what we should all aim for. To be men and women of faith who are willing to stand up no matter what life throws at us. Look around you. You know people in this church that have gone through some horrific events. And yet they're still here because of their faith in God. Can you imagine Cast your mind back to those thousands of years ago when this letter was probably read publicly. You see, the reader would have been running through this amazing list about these people. So-and-so did this, and -and so-and-so did that, and this person, and I haven't got time to even mention these people. And yet, even though, even though these people did all these amazing things, 
And it was their faith in God which unites them. They did not receive what was promised. Because the promise came to us. Because the promise was that the best is yet to be, to quote Mr. Glasgow. The best is yet to be. So we have seen this great list of witnesses, the great cloud of witnesses, as chapter 12, verse 1 tells us. People who have done amazing things. Abraham, the pioneer of faith. The promises of Jacob and Isaac. The resolve and leadership of Joshua and Moses. The men who led the people to freedom. All these great inductees all have to take a step back and bow to the knee to Jesus, the author and protector, or rather, author and perfecter of our faith. So as I draw to a close this evening, I want to leave you with three things to take into this week. Faith in God means this, that we must reject sin. We are in a race. And runners need to be carrying as little weight as possible. Leave the rubbish behind. Leave the sin behind. And for that race we are to run, we're going to face opposition, suffering, even rejection. And we must look to the ultimate goal. It might come as a complete surprise to you that marathons are not my idea of a good afternoon out. Yet when it comes to the endurance, is this. The marathon symbolizes the Christian life going mile by mile, stride by stride, step by step. Heck, even crawl by crawl with Jesus, if that's what it takes, to get through life. And one day we will pass the finish line. Or if our faith diminishes, we will collapse in a heap before we even get there. Yet we are reminded to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. And that at his name, one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the promise that we have. That's the promise. Abraham, Moses. Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Gideon, David, Samuel, Rahab, Joshua, Samson. We could go on and on and on. But one day, all of this hall of fame of faith will be an adoration and worship and homage to Jesus. One day our faith will be rewarded when it's no longer needed, as we will see Jesus as he is. And one day that day is coming. I don't know when it will be what it will be like when my faith gives way but I can only imagine this that the words my Lord and my God won't even come close I think I've said this before and I close uh, with this Jesus or rather uh, and God took six days to create the earth how amazing that is that astounds us that's incredible that baffles us that bamboozles us that we can't even understand his intricacies How long has Jesus been gone? 2,000 plus years? What did he say? I go to prepare a place for you. If he created the earth in its amazement in six days, just imagine what you've been doing for 2,000 years. By faith, we see the hand of God. In the light of creation's grand designs, for the lives of those who fulfill his faithfulness, who walk by faith and not by faith. Sight. We will stand as children of the promise. That's our final song together this evening. Here is this amazing picture of faith. Faith in what? Faith in a God 
who loves us, who wants the best for us, and delights in us to call us his children. The Lord bless you. Let's pray.